Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. With all that is transpiring, there is somewhat of a nervousness in the gathering itself, but let us, in a sense, block all that out and come together as the people of God around the Word of God and worship Jesus. We gather, and we are a gathered, confessional, creedal church. We are confessing, we are gathering, saying that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. That is what controls us, that is what grips us this morning. We're in that section of Exodus, chapters 7 through 13, where we have signs and wonders. And we will note that in our study this morning. But it is through signs and wonders that Yahweh, as a covenant-keeping God, is caring for his people and fulfilling promises. He is rescuing his people through signs and wonders. He is destroying his enemy through signs and wonders. And he is restoring them to a place of rest through signs and wonders. In our world... Signs identify and direct. They can tell us of content and can bring and provide warning. They can give information as to what lies ahead. This section of Exodus, chapters 7 through 12, is all about signs and wonders. And these signs that God gives to the nation and to us identify, they direct, they warn, and they inform us as to who God is, what God has done, and who we are because of it. Signs and wonders assure me. Signs and wonders. And I'm really wanting us to hear what the text is saying and then hopefully benefit from it on a personal horizontal level. But signs and wonders, as we will see in Exodus, assures me that God controls what he creates. God created all this. He controls all this. And as creator God, he may do what he wants with what is his, and when he does it, he is always right. We look at a world in upheaval, disarray, mismessaging, and manipulated information, and we wonder what in this world is indeed going on. Through signs and wonders, God steps in and controls it all. In his mercy and in his grace, he gives us the books of Exodus. He gives us the Gospels. That's where we see signs and wonders. And he gives us the book of Revelation. And does a revelation, a revealing, an apocalypse. He pulls back, as it were, the veil. That's what Revelation is all about. He pulls back the veil, or in our context, as Pastor Giles mentioned, he pulls off or takes off the mask and says, I got this. God's got this. All of these signs and wonders have an end. They have a purpose. He fully recognizes right now our confusion and our fear. He knows us. And what does he want me to do in all of this? He calls me. As we have said repeatedly, he calls me to trust him. To rest in his story, even as I struggle with what narrative I'm going to believe and how I might respond to all of this. We must not allow the present confusion or hysteria, anger and fear to control us or divert us from what indeed is true. In the midst of all this, in the midst of all this, new birth continues and people are passing. And in all of this, we are declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God the Father has raised him from the dead. 
He calls me as an elder of a church to stay on mission, not to lose sight of the vision and to continue preaching the gospel. This section in Exodus chapters 7 through 12 reminds us of what is true, and he does this through signs and wonders. Let me read for us Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll dive into this idea. It says in chapter 7, verse 1, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. That's a reoccurring refrain throughout all of the plagues. Let my people go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Again, a constant refrain, a pattern. And though I multiply my signs and wonders, that again is found throughout this section, in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them, Chapter 3 says that God will bring them out of Egypt and bring them into Eden, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for this text of Scripture. We know that you are a God who controls creation, that you are its creator, you are its Lord, you are Yahweh. And Father, all of life in the horizontal is playing out according to your plan. You control all of this. And you gave us this apocalypse, this unveiling, so that we can see your hand being played out and your story being fulfilled. Use this to encourage us during this time. We do ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at signs and wonders. It becomes prominent inside the book of Exodus. In fact, if we took time, chapter 4, verse 8, verse 17, verse 21, verse 28, verse 30, chapter 7, verse 3, chapter 8, verse 23, on and on and on, we keep reading this reoccurring phrase, signs and wonders. God is right now, through signs and wonders, reclaiming what is rightfully his in the fulfilling of an ancient promise. He's going to rescue his people, destroy his enemies, and restore his people to a place of rest in his presence. But when you and I talk about signs and wonders, when the scriptures talk about signs and wonders, he is talking about the suspending of natural law. God is doing something that is outside normal. It is different than the spiritual gifts that are described within the context of the New Testament. In fact, if we were to study and look at the entire scripture, we would see that there are really five distinct periods of signs and wonders. We have initial creation, but there was no audience but God himself, creation. And then you have the exodus where you have this idea of signs and wonders. You have Elijah and then Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 2. And further, you have signs and wonders. Then you have the days of Jesus. You have the falling of Jerusalem in Matthew 24, 25, and John 20. And then finally, you have the tribulation or the book of Revelation where it talks about signs and wonders. What we see in all of these periods is that God is, in a sense, pulling back the veil and he's showing us that he controls creation. 
And through the controlling of creation, through signs and wonders, God is reclaiming what is rightfully his as creator and redeemer, and he's bringing us back to the Garden of Eden. What is equally interesting as well is that if you take the book of Exodus and you look at the 10 plagues and then you compare it to Revelation 16, the alignment isn't perfect, but enough is there to assure us that there is this pattern within the scripture where in the displaying of signs and wonders, in the suspending of natural laws, God is reclaiming what is rightfully his. And I would argue that right now, during this season, we are going to see signs and wonders. I think right now God is reclaiming what is rightfully his as creator and redeemer. Creation, all of creation, bows before its creator through signs and wonders. Through signs and wonders, God is doing exactly what he intends to do. Now, in the ten plagues, you have the blood, you have the frogs, you have the gnats and the flies, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn. You have this idea of 10. Well, 10 is a dominant qualifying number within the scripture itself. And there is this pattern, and I believe the pattern is intentional. In creation, we have the statement, and God said 10 times. God in creation creates. In the Exodus, signs and wonders, through these 10 miracles or these 10 acts, God is decreating. Then what does Jesus do? With signs and wonders, he is recreating. And then what does Revelation do? Through signs and wonders, through tribulation, it decreates. And then there is a recreation. There's this pattern taking place throughout the biblical text. In fact, if we were to take time and look at all of the plagues inside of the book of Exodus, there is a definable pattern. And the pattern says a request is being made by Moses, by Aaron. Let my people go. And then a sign is given. And then there is a reason as to why all of this is taking place. In order that the nation and the nations will know that he is Yahweh, the personal name of God. And then there's a response, especially in Exodus. Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. A response. And then finally, the result. Through signs and wonders, God is reclaiming what is rightfully his as the creator and the redeemer. What is equally interesting concerning the ten plagues is that the plagues themselves attack Egyptian gods. Inside of Exodus, God is, in a sense, flexing his creator muscles. He is saying, of all gods, I am the God. You and I exist in the horizontal. We exist with confusion. Right now, some of us are getting a little bit perturbed or irked by the inconvenience being imposed on us. Let us be assured that God has got this. God is in control. And no matter how difficult our situation might appear to be, God's got this, and God is reclaiming what is rightfully his through signs and wonders as the creator as the Redeemer. So you have this sign or these signs. There's a distinct pattern. God is crushing the Egyptian gods. Then you have, as it were, Pharaoh's folly, and you can follow this throughout the ten plagues. You have in chapter 8, verse 8, Pharaoh says, I will let the people go, but what does he do? He recants of his confession, and he doesn't let the people go. He hardens his heart. 
And then he says, I have sinned in chapter 9, verse 27. But again, he recants. And then chapter 10, verses 7 and 11. All the men can go, but not the women and children. And then it says, go without your flocks, without your livestock. You can go, all of you can go, but you can't sacrifice. You can't worship. And then finally in chapter 12, Pharaoh says, please get out of here. (laughs) I want nothing more to do with you. But what does he do? He recants. He sends out the armies and God destroys the armies. God is reclaiming what is rightfully his as creator, redeemer, and he's doing it through signs and wonders. He is crushing the Egyptian gods. Historically, American Christians have had it good, even as we pray every week for the persecuted church. This really isn't that. We have had it good, and we have it good, despite the restrictions being imposed upon us. But let us not think for a moment that Egypt, Egypt is Eden. It is only a matter of time before the serpent bears its fangs and we hear the roar of the lion who is walking about seeking whom he may devour. The creep is slow, but it is steady. The only thing that will defang the serpent and silence the lion is the woman's seed. He has and he will. And let us be clear on this. The church is Eden. Everything outside the church is Egypt. Regardless of your political alignment, the underlying power, no matter what political party you might align with, the underlying power is of the serpent. That's why we constantly call us to the story. In Genesis chapter 3, in reference to the fall, Jesus says to the serpent, the woman's seed is going to do what? Crush his head. But the serpent's seed is going to do what? Crush his heel, bruise his heel. And then from that point forward, if you read the story correctly, you see the serpent assaulting that of the woman. So let us understand that out there is indeed Egypt. In here is Eden. We are in Egypt, but we are not of Egypt. Just because you are in it does not mean you are of it. As Christians, we are insulated from this wickedness, but we are not isolated or to be isolated from it. We have a mission. We have a vision. And it is gospel-centric. What are we to be doing while we are here, and that is preaching the gospel? We are to go into all the world and preach Jesus. You and I cannot help but live in Egypt. But their worldview and our worldview are not the same. So we gather today fully understanding where we are as the people of God. Egypt says, we see it through Pharaoh's response. Egypt says, you know, you can't go. And then it says, you can go, but leave your children behind. And then it says, well, you can all go, but without your livestock and sacrifice. Finally, Egypt will say, get out of here. I'm not sure what is going to come out of the mouth of Pharaoh next. But I do know at some point, God is going to rip us out of this world and Pharaoh will be happy that we left. We think the intent of signs and wonders is to convince. In the midst of all this, if you were an Egyptian, what would you do? Well, surely you would believe. Surely you would trust Yahweh. But what we find is just the opposite. Instead of a pliable, soft, believing response, you have this reoccurring statement, 
Pharaoh hardened his heart. Again, put it in context. Signs and wonders, ten incredible plagues. Surely in the midst of all this they would believe. But what do they do? They harden their heart. The same sun that melts the butter hardens the clay. We would think, well, surely if I was there seeing all this unfold, I would believe. Think with me of Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 27, the rich man says, I beg you, Father, Father Abraham, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. What if God indeed raises someone from the dead and that resurrected person tells them of this good news? Surely they'll listen to someone who has been raised from the dead. Does that in any way sound familiar? Surely they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Even in the midst of all these signs and wonders, there is still this unbelief. They will not believe. What do we do with this? Well, the word harden, as it is found in our text, occurs 33 times in the Pentateuch. Of those 33 times, 16 times it is used in the book of Exodus, and you can see how Exodus dominates its occurrence. When that word harden, which is really interesting, is translated elsewhere, it is never translated harden. It is only translated harden in the book of Exodus. And Exodus dominates its occurrence. And what's interesting, of the ten plagues, and you have a summarizing statement concerning this, but of the ten plagues that are given, the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It is only after the first five plagues that you then have this reoccurring theme of God hardened Pharaoh's heart. When the Bible speaks of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, we should not assume the heart of Pharaoh was soft or pliable or willing, and God took a heart that was willing and made it hard. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Pharaoh's heart started hard and unyielding, and God allowed or caused it to remain as such. Because only God can cause a hard heart to become soft and responsive to his calling. Pharaoh was unwilling and unyielding to God's initiation, to God's action. He saw the signs and wonders, and he refused to believe. And God allowed Pharaoh to remain as he was. Signs and wonders, a hard heart. You fast forward this to the book of Revelation, chapter 16. And it's interesting what happens in the midst of all these horrific judgments coming upon the people, the inhabitants of earth. The reoccurring thought is this. Verse 9 of chapter 16 in the book of Revelation. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. Revelation 16, 11, And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their plans and pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Verse 21, And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men and blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. You'd think in the midst of all this, what would people be doing? Repenting and believing. And yet what are they doing? They're blaspheming God. They're speaking ill of God. 
What we see throughout the book of Exodus is this. Pharaoh, like Israel and us, are of a hard heart. The story says what the entire scriptures say. You can't, God can, and Jesus did. In fact, if we were to take time and note the occurrences of repentance being a gift granted by God, the logical question we would then ask ourselves is this. If it's almost impossible for a rich man to be saved as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, then who, who could possibly be saved? In the midst of all these signs and wonders, in the midst of all these plagues, in the midst of all these displays of natural laws being suspended, and in the midst of all that, we still have hard hearts? Well, who can be saved? The response Jesus gives, it says, with people, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. As we look at this larger section of material inside the book of Exodus, God is giving them signs and wonders, and what is he doing? He is redeeming his people, he's destroying his enemies, and he's going to restore them to a place of rest. He is exercising himself and saying, I, as creator, am reclaiming what is rightfully mine. All opposition... All opponents will be destroyed, and I alone am Yahweh. Thus he says, do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. The salvation of the Lord. That word salvation used in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, occurs five times in the entire Pentateuch, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. It's found in Genesis 49:18, where it says, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. It's found in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15. And then the three occurrences of the five, the three, are found in Exodus. Exodus 14, 13, see the salvation of the Lord. Exodus 14, 30, it's used as a verb, thus the Lord, thus Yahweh saved Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. And then chapter 15, verse 2, the Lord, Yahweh is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. So we see the signs and wonders. God is reclaiming what is rightfully his as creator-redeemer. We know that he's going to do exactly what he said. But what is interesting or shocking to us, instead of believing, there's a hardening of heart. In light of that, who indeed can be saved? And the response is, with man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. What we need to do is stand still, to stop, and see the salvation of God. What is interesting for us is the word salvation, as used in our text, Exodus 14, 13, is Yeshua. Now, any of us that know the name of Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. You take the Hebrew word, I'm not expecting you to read this, Hebrew reads from right to left, but you can hopefully see the consonants. The consonants are those little scribbles on the map. The bottom one is salvation. You see it has one other letter. The other consonants align. Stop, stand still, and see Jesus. When Jesus was born, he was given the name Jesus. Why? Because Yeshua shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus. Here's the amazing thing for us. I've alluded to this earlier in our study. Exodus gives us signs and wonders. There is a deconstructing. If you look at the plagues, if you look at the signs, you look at the wonders, creation is being deconstructed. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened. 
you get to the book of Revelation, you get into tribulation, there is this deconstruction taking place. And you see the response. There's this hardness of heart. People are refusing to repent. They are blaspheming God. And then you have Jesus. And you look at the miracles of Jesus. And what Jesus does is return us back to the Garden of Eden. Jesus shows us what this dominion looks like inside of the garden. And in the book of John, John's gospel, you have these seven signs. And in John's gospel, the 29th verse, it says, And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see me and yet believe. He goes on to say, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, the book of John. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Signs and wonders, the book of Exodus 7 through 12, plagues are being visited upon the people of Egypt. Shockingly, they do not repent, but rather harden their hearts. In light of that, who indeed can be saved? Well, with man, all that is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Jesus is God's final answer to the salvation story. Jesus gives us signs. Why? So that we would indeed believe, and in believing, we would have life in his name. The entire Bible sets us up. It's leading us to something or someone. We see in Jesus the second Adam. We see what dominion over the earth, dominion over creation looks like. He is the true prophet. He is the fulfillment of what Moses was to look like. And here's the startling thing for me. As I thought about this, the ten plagues end with what? The death of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. And it is in his death as Passover. It is in his death that the plagues end before God. Jesus Christ is our deliverance from sin and death. In shadow form, in the book of Exodus, God is moving his story forward. You and I are part of that story, but it is through the signs and wonders that God is reclaiming what is rightfully is as creator-redeemer. He is rescuing his people, he is destroying his enemies, and he is restoring us to the place of rest. And it is all found in Jesus. So where do we go from here? Well, first of all, when God works to reclaim what is rightfully his as creator-redeemer, it will be through signs and wonders. Let us not be surprised as the world in which we live seems to be unfolding. God right now through all of this is reclaiming what is rightfully his. On a global scale, what God is doing right now is to reclaim what is rightfully his. So I can sit back in midst of all this awe and wonder and I can rest. I can trust. That's why we are here right now to be reminded of what is true. God's got this. God is in control. And if we were in Egypt during this period of time and saw all these signs and wonders, we would be wondering what in the world is going on. And through that, God is saying, I got this. The response we would expect is faith and repentance, repentance and faith. But that's not what we see. If that is the case, who then can be saved? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, 
all things are possible. God's answer is in Jesus. He becomes the last plague, the firstborn. And through his death, we live. Do not think for one minute that you may do as you wish. This is so incredibly humbling. You might say to yourself, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not quite sure I'm there. You need to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and accept his gift while it is called today. Don't put this off. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death, then let me exhort you, let me call you to believe today that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. And finally, let us recognize that Jesus Christ is our Savior from sin and death. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is salvation. As I study the story, as I look at all the various pieces, I'm finding its connectedness more and more and more and more. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You might say to yourself, that sounds overly simplistic. That sounds so simple. And I am saying to you that you are to confess Jesus as Lord and that you are to believe that God has raised him from the dead. And if you do that based on the word of God, you are saved. Notice the parallel idea in verse 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Have you believed? Do you believe? Today, continue to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. Let Jesus answer for you all your questions in the vertical. And he has got the horizontal. It is through this that he is reclaiming what is rightfully his as creator and redeemer. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, as perhaps confusing as the time is in which we live, you are not confused. The world for you is indeed black and white. Father, we are thankful that you are our Father, that you are our God, that no matter what is taking place, you are controlling it, and that you are playing out your story to the fullest. May we believe that. May we rest in that. Father, if anyone is indeed alarmed or fearful, may you calm their fears. May you dismantle, as it were, their alarm by letting them trust you and rest in you. Father, thank you so much that even now we can remember through the partaking of the Lord's table what Jesus Christ has done in our behalf. He has answered for us fully and finally the one question that we could not answer for ourselves. And it is through this last plague, the offering up of the firstborn, that we have life in his name. Thank you, Father, for this time together as your people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.